Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and the entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. Found it. There was a note of triumph in her voice. It would be the major accomplishment of her day, Bosch guessed. Great. She dropped a heavy binder onto the counter. Marjorie Lowe, homicide, 1961, now. She took the card off the binder and looked at it. Yes, uh, you were the last to take it out. Let's see, that was five years ago. You were with Robbie Homicide then. Yes, and now I'm in Hollywood. Do you want me to sign for it again? She put the card down in front of him. Yes. Put your ID number there, too, please. He quickly did as was told, and he could tell she was studying him as he wrote. A lefty? Yeah. He slid the card back across the counter to her. Thanks, Geneva. He looked at her, wanting to say something else, but decided it might be a mistake. She looked back at him, and a grandmotherly smile formed on her face. I don't know what you're doing, Detective Bosch, but I wish you good luck. I can tell it's important to you, coming back here after five years. It's been longer than that, Geneva. A lot longer. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line Podcast. I'm Philip Parker, a retired detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod and our Instagram and Facebook pages, which are set up just for our fans. Also, don't forget to join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content. There, you will find more detailed experience concerning Harry Bosch and Michael Connolly. Now all that's out the way, it's time to get back to work and probe into chapters one through four of The Last Coyote. Harry attacked his commanding officer and is suspended indefinitely pending a psychiatric evaluation. At first, he resists the LAPD shrink, but finally realizes that something has been troubling him for a long time. In 1961, when Harry was 12, his mother, a prostitute, was brutally murdered, and no one's ever been accused of the crime. With the spare time suspension brings, Harry opens up the 30-year-old file on the case and is irresistibly drawn into the past he's always avoided. It's clear that the case was fumbled, any smell of a cover-up is unmistakable. Someone powerful was able to divert justice and Harry vows to uncover the truth. As he relentlessly follows the broken pieces of the case, the stir interest causes new murders and pushes Harry to the edge of his job and his life. So far on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we've taken deep dives into the first three books of the Harry Bosch series, The Black Echo, Black Ice, and a Concrete Blonde that was created by famed author Michael Connolly. 
So in today's episode, we'll start a deep dive into the fourth book of the series. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It's my intention to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens. So please proceed with caution. So take off your suit jacket and put on your jumper because you might get dirty as we explore chapters one through four of The Last Coyote. It's time to open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record so we can do an investigative summary on the information gathered thus far in this chapter. Harry's placed on ISL, involuntary stress leave, for attacking a fellow police officer. Pending the outcome of the mandatory therapy with LAPD's behavioral science section, will determine if Harry is reinstated as a detective. During that first session, Harry is very guarded and combative with Dr. Carmen Anoho. During the session, Harry attempts to explain that he and Sylvia Moore have broken off their relationship, with Sylvia having telling him she's found out who Bosch was. Dr. Anoho starts to peel back some of Harry's defenses, at which time Harry tells her that Everybody counts, or nobody counts. Shortly thereafter, Harry begins to tell Dr. Onoho his side of the events that led to the incident. Later, Harry covertly enters his home that has been red-tagged as condemned by the city due to the damage caused by an earthquake. Harry refuses to give in and decides to effect repairs and petition the cities for reconsideration. After chastising himself for watching cars in traffic, Harry receives a phone call from Jerry Edgar. Edgar advised that Pounds had partnered him up with a different detective. What makes this action more egregious, that Edgar's new partner has no CAPS experience. Having taken Dr. Onoho's advice to stay busy, Bosch responds to LAPD's stores facility and retrieves the murder book concerning his mother, Marjorie Lowe. And it gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues. What the defining theme for chapters one through four of The Last Coyote is, it's worth remembering that in time of greatest gains, in terms of wisdom and inner strength, is often that of greatest difficulty. Hello, and welcome back to the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch. And today we start this episode off with Harry being in a therapy session with someone from the LAPD's behavioral science section. And he immediately jumps into the fact that this is bullshit. And so I'm going to start off really quickly and give you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say this. And listeners, I'm just remember, I'm telling you, I'm not I'm not proud of what I did. I was younger in my career. And I'm just going to reiterate, just leave it up to if you can chalk it up to 
inexperience and bullheadedness of what I did and this would happen to me. So that being said, that, that's my little caveat there. So I was ordered to go to a uh, diversity training type of therapy. And it was everyone in the department had to do it. You know, this is when the department was become, becoming more self-aware that we had to reach out more to the community. And basically, it was a mandatory circle jerk. I mean, I just can't put it. That's how I was feeling at the time. And, you know, we went in this, you know, we were, uh, I had a big case going and I didn't want to go and, you know, trial. But all this took precedent over everything. And you were ordered, unless someone was dying, you had to go to this particular training. So I was hot. I was livid. And again, I, I was probably around, you know, I want to say about 94, 95. So I was just starting to work my investigative career. I was, you know, getting hot and hungry, just trying to get, you know, things going. So we get into this, uh, you know, this circle, you know, this kumbaya circle. And I wanted out of this place, you no, know, at all costs. And again, something kind of what Harry was going through here. So, you know, you uh, get checked in uh, by the administrative sergeant. You, you checked in, you go in. And I'm sitting in a circle and I'm like, you know, from, you know, they go around the circle and I just have, they started going left to right around the circle. So I was pretty much the last one as they were coming around. And you had to give, you know, stay, you know, pretty much stand up and say who you are. And, you know, and, and it was really just, uh, so they get around to me. And so the facilitator said, well, you know, Phil, could you, um, could you give, uh, you know, who you are? and I kind of did what Harry did. I said, I can say anything in here. Well, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, 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 yes, sir, detective. You can say anything. You, anything you say here would be is contained within here. I said, I can't get in trouble for anything I can say here. <laughs> and the facilitator said, sure, sure, sure. So the poor facilitator, she didn't see what I was about to do. I said, well, I think this is bullshit. I think what you do is bullshit. I think everyone in here was bullshit. I think the department make me come here is bullshit. I don't like it. And it's bullshit. I don't give a fuck what you do. You know, this is just a bunch of circle jerking and a bunch of kumbaya bullshit. <laughs> so the facilitator looked at me. And unlike uh, the Dr. Ornoho, she said to me, get out. Get the fuck out. <laughs> so... I got kicked out of the class, and uh, I went to the um, the administrative sergeant. I said, "Hey, he like, what, what are you doing?" I like, I, I just got kicked out of the class, and he looked at me like, "Hold on for a second. and then he comes back like five minutes later. He goes, "Give me your paper. I sign you out. <laughs> your excuse because she doesn't want you back in her class." <laughs> and, um, listeners, I, again, I just say it again. I was wrong, <laughs> but I, I, I you know, looking back on now, what they do, and I, again, I'm not, I'm just being honest, looking back on it with 29 years of experience, what they were trying to do makes sense is a diversity thing, getting, getting cops and the citizens to know each other and the whole nine yards, but I didn't want to be there. And unfortunately for the department, the, f the facilitator wasn't used to how devious cops can be at times, at least me, I know, I guess so.
Yeah, so when I started reading this portion of the book, it brought back that memory. And it brought back that memory because this is what Harry was trying to do with Dr. Anoho. You know, he was trying his best to denigrate her profession, make her angry. But as she said, you know, she held, she held all the cards because Harry evidently got in trouble for, quote unquote, the incident. And you know, they talk about the incident. He seemed to have pushed somebody and or hit somebody. He even said he did not fight the fact. You know, he wasn't even resisting the fact that he did it. Just go ahead and uh, punish him so he can get back to work. And, you know, we also see that through this meeting with Dr. Anoho, that Harry's house, you know, the fame hill, the house on the hill has been damaged because of uh, an earthquake. And, you know, we see that Harry's being living in this place and Harry and Dr. Anoho go back and forth on how irresponsible it is for Harry to be living in, um, in the house that has been condemned. Now, Dr. Onoho is, you know, seems to be very competent because even Harry says it here in this particular chapter that he's gotten word from other people who've gone, as they call it, Chinatown, but pretty much gone to therapy, is that she's very good at her job and, you know, or quite competent. And she's able to start peeling away some of the layers of Harry's defenses. Dr. Noho asked Harry to, you know, talk about his mission. You know, what do you feel as though your mission is? Because you talk about your job as though that's your mission in life. And Harry asked her, well, what's your mission? And she comes back, well, the sessions aren't about me, but I'm going to tell you about my mission. So she didn't tell Harry about her mission. And then, you know, from the book, you know, Harry says, that's fine. When I think about my mission, do you want me to shorten it to a couple of sentences like that? And rehearse it to the point that it sounds like I'm reading out of the dictionary. <laughs> so she says, Mr. Detective Bosch, if you want to be cute and contentious the whole time, we're not going to get anywhere, which means you're not going to get back to your job anytime soon. <laughs> you know, I like Dr. Anoho. She's pushing back. You know, again, she's it looked like she's experienced with dealing with the um, officers. And she knows, unlike my facilitator back at this example I gave you, she knows that we're um, not coming there because we want to. And, you know, again, cops have a, a sense of machoism, not talking about their feelings and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to get to talk about this a little bit more in the question of the day. So I'm going to move on. Dr. Noho also gets Harry to talk about his relationship. But evidently, it was in a file, um, Harry's file that she had on him. And it, it appears that Sylvia and Harry have broken up. And again, you know, Dr. Onoho says, well, what, what happened? You know, and he, he is, and Harry says, well, she found out who I was. And what's great about this line, I found out who I was, is Michael Conley reaching back two books you know, from the Black Ice um, and to the Concrete Blonde now to this book, to that line, I found out who I was. And even Sylvia, last book, had warned Harry that she didn't want to go through the pain of what happened with Cal Moore. And so we see that Sylvia has, quote unquote, found out who Harry was, and she pretty much left him. So during this conversation back and forth with Dr. Anoho, she's able to get Harry to start talking about the incident. And one of the things that Dr. Anoho said, well, was, was this particular murder very brutal? He said, well, yeah, it's brutal to the person that got killed, but yeah, it was brutal. But this is where the everybody counts 
or nobody counts start to be developed the first time Harry is verbalizing this. Now, for us who have been in the Harry Bosch ecosystem, that line, everybody counts or nobody counts, is the anchor in which Harry investigates uh, cases. And we see Bosch then is able to explain to Dr. Noho what he means by everyone counts or nobody counts. From the book, let's try to talk about what happened last week again. I understand it stemmed from the case involving a murder of a prostitute. Yes. Was it brutal? That's just a word. It means different things to different people. True. But talking about the meaning to you, was it a brutal homicide? Yes. It's brutal. I think almost all of them are. Somebody dies, it's brutal for them. And you took the suspect into custody? Yes, my partner and I, uh, I mean, no, he came in voluntarily to answer some questions. Did this case affect you more than, say, other cases in the past? Maybe. I don't know. Why would that be? You mean, why did I care about a prostitute? I didn't. No more than I would care about any victim. But in homicide, there's one rule that I have when it comes to the cases I get. What's that rule? Everybody counts or nobody counts. Uh, explain that. Just what I said. Everybody counts or nobody counts. That's it. I mean, I bust my ass to make the case whether it's a prostitute or the mayor's wife. That's my rule. And so now we see that's where Bosch anchor is. Just for everyone who's listened to this podcast, and if you have wondered, a couple of people have even um, asked me online, why, did I, why do I say everyone counts or no one counts, opposed to everybody counts? Or nobody counts. And actually, I didn't think that I was worthy to take such an iconic phrase that Michael Connolly has used in his books. And I also wanted to make the podcast as unique as possible. So I've always said every, everyone counts or no one counts, opposed to everybody counts or nobody counts. Again, that's just my little nuance, a little playoff of Michael Connolly's iconic model of Harry Bosch. You know, so then Dr. Anoho does something that's really good. You know, she asked Harry to describe the incident in his own words. And again, from the book, I understand. Now let's go back to the specific case. I'm interested in hearing your description of what happened after your arrest and the reasons you may have for violent actions at the Hollywood division. Is this being taped? <laughs> Harry, Harry's stupid, you know, again, always pushing and prodding. And um, of course, then Dr. Onoho says, of course not, it's not being taped and everything you say um, here will be kept in confidence. And I get a lot, Harry is so stupid. And again, also from the book, she didn't respond. Boss thought for a moment while looking at her. He thought he might be able to trust her, but his natural instinct and experience was that he shouldn't trust no one. She seemed to know his dilemma and waited him out. And so then we have Harry going um, back to his house and entering the house very covertly. And again, just to pick, piggyback off of the conversation here with Dr. Anoho, Harry House has been condemned. And right now he's trying to avoid the city inspector because, of course, he shouldn't be living in the house. But he's taking upon himself to not just live in the house, but also to 
uh, rebuild it. And again, he's going to try to petition the city uh, to have his house not condemned. And we now see Harry living a life of a loner from the book. After he came in, Bosch opened the refrigerator and retrieved a can of Coca-Cola. He then stood in the doorway of the aging appliance, letting his breath cool him while studying its contents for something suitable for dinner. He knew exactly what was in the shelves and in the drawers, but he still looked. It was as if he hoped for the surprise appearance of a forgotten steak or chicken breast. He followed his routine with the refrigerator often. It was a ritual of a man who was alone. He knew this also. Again, <sighs> Michael sets up really quickly. Not only has Harry lost Sylvia, lost his job, lost his home. Like, God damn, you know, again, Harry right now is taking some body blows. And he's living a life of a loner. And, you know, right off the bat, you got to be worried about Harry Bosch. While Harry is um, thinking about being a loner, you know, he also reflects on if he could trust doc, uh, Dr. Anoho. You know, he says it to himself, I wonder if she's a nine to fiver or if ever her therapies go over, which means if she goes over, then she cares about the subject in his mind, that she cares about the subject and let the conversation dictate how long the, the sessions are. Or if she's just a nine to fiver, it's just, look, it's, about, it's just about my job. And that's how he is. He's equating Dr. Noho to him because he's not a nine to fiver. He's not a nine to five uh, a detective. You know, he stays out there to do the job as long as it takes. And he wanted to see, he's thinking to himself, I wonder if Dr. Noho is kind of like me. So then we see Harry getting a call from Edgar. And Edgar informs um, Harry that Pounds has put him with a new partner. And one of the things that Michael Conley gets correct is Harry and um, Edgar talk about the new partner, and he's a property guy, a property detective. And Harry says, Jesus, dude, this guy, he has no caps experience, you know, crimes against person experience. And Again, Michael Connolly's right on track. Most guys, now, I, I do not have any CAPS experience. Again, I told you, most my, hell, all my career have been narcotic-related. And I wasn't, I know sometimes the homicide guys look, didn't look down on narcotic investigations. Here, Harry talks about property crime investigators, and it's just so much paperwork that they have very little time to do their work. Well, unlike those type of detectives, I had a lot of time to do my job because you had to put it together. You had to build the evidence from scratch and work your way up. So, and I think I had the respect of homicide investigators. Again, again, just like I was saying before, a lot of the homicides in our city were narcotic related. So I had this symbiotic relationship with the homicide investigators because they will always come to me for investigative leads uh, for their homicides, or not just me, but narcotics in, in, in general, not me specific. But, you know, Harry says something here that I want to uh, slow down and, you know, develop a little bit. From the book, Edgar was his partner, but they had never gotten to the point where they completely confided in each other. Bosch played the mentor role in their relationship, and he trusted Edgar with his life. But that was the bond that held fast on the street. Inside the department was another matter. Bosch had never trusted anyone, never relied on anyone. You know, that 
is really, again, Michael Collins just got that correct. You know, and again, civilians, people have to think, wait a minute, you could trust someone with your life, but you wouldn't trust them with the politics that happened in the department? And I'm like, yeah, because, and it sounds weird and warped, but that's just the police culture. And I, I'm going to try to give it an example of what I mean. So when I was early on, on my, uh, in my career, I had a decision to make. Um, as I said before, my father was a police officer and he wanted me, just like I told you before, he wanted me to move up the ranks. And just like any child, if your parent tells you to go left, what are you going to do? You're going to go right. But to placate him before I had the fortitude to, you know, stand up to him and say, not going to do it. I took the, uh, the exam for Sergeant and me and another narcotic guy, we were we had made this bond, this, not bond, but we made this promise to each other. So the sergeant exam, there's two particular portions. There's a written and there's what they call the inbox or, or the oral board. And after I took the written, I, you, know, you have to pass the written to then go to the oral board. And the written is just pretty much general policies. Um, and that's pretty much it. Is do you know the policies, the written policies when it comes to the department? And I passed it. So me and this one guy passed it. And we made this, again, we were narcotic guys and we made this kind of pack. It's like, look, dude, I have no clue about the next portion of it. And the next portion, what they call the inbox. And inbox is just pretty much the administrative functionality of a sergeant. And they have class, they had classes back then, what the hell they have them now, but how to attack and address inboxes. But, new, but I didn't know where the classes were. And so I made this pack with this guy. I said, hey, look, we both will look for these classes. And if we find the classes, let, let's let each other know. So as we were getting closer to the second portion of the exam, you know, we would see each other in the hallway and say, hey, did you find a class? I'm like, no, did you? I'm like, nope, I didn't find anything. Oh, okay, okay. So this guy who I made this pack with, you know, after the, the, the exams uh, are administered, you know, you get your list, you get the, they get the scores and you see where everyone gets uh, are ranked. And I was ranked, but I was never going to get promoted. I was too low on the list. And I knew that just because the inbox just crushed me. You know, when I took the written, I was like in the middle of the pack, a little bit above. But after the inbox, I, I did so badly. I was almost at the bottom. Well, I was going to be too low where you knew that they were never going to, what we call, reach down that far and um, make that many sergeants. But my guy, who I, I made this pack with, he maintained his level, if not even went up a little bit. And it was all because of the inbox. So he just said, oh, I got lucky. You know, wow, I didn't think it was that bad. And again, me being not even stupid, I think it had maybe four years on. But just so happened, a couple of days later, I was walking around the corner. And this guy was talking to somebody else. And they're like, dude, how, how did you make it past the inbox? He's oh, man, I found this great class. <laughs> you know, that told me all about inboxes. And I walked around and I looked at him. I'm like, wow, really? You found a good class? And, you know, the blood just, you saw the, the blood just leave this guy's face. And he just turned pale. And I'm like, wow, okay. I learned a lesson. Now, the same guy, I wouldn't trust him at, to th to, as far as I could throw him comes to administrative work inside the department. Matter of fact, after that happened to me, nobody trusted this guy 
when it came to political stuff inside the department. But now we was on the street. I would trust him with my life. Now, again, that is weird. It's, 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 you would say, wait a minute, Phil, he did this to you. Aren't you worried about him protecting your life? Well, no, because he, he's going to need me on the street. You know, life or death cuts through all bullshit, all politics. So just as much I, as I need him on the street, he might need me on the street. And at the end of the day, everybody, no matter if you are a captain or patrol officer, you want to go home at the end of the day. I hope that is a good analogy of explaining how Bosch was feeling right here, where he could trust Edgar on the street with his life, but he would never trust anybody with the politics of the department. And, you know, then we see Edgar tells Bosch about a murder investigation that, they, that he had solved, that he just had solved. And Bosch said, wow, just as Edgar laughed, he really felt as though he was missing something, how much he, was, how much he missed being a detective. And again, I know, if you remember back in the Black Echo, I talked about the time I got suspended <laughs> for calling a supervisor motherfucker. You know, I'm not going to tell that story again. Just got to go back and listen to it. But when I was suspended for that week, I totally get that. I get what Bosch is saying here because, man, you know, again, I was young in my career. I was hungry and I got suspended. And when they suspend you, just like they did with Bosch here, they take everything from you. They take your gun, they take your badge, they take your ID folder. And unlike what Bosch got here, they gave us a card that said something to the effect of uh, or suspension or something like that. I can't remember the exact, but when you, had, when you handed it to people to get in and out of facilities, everyone knew exactly why you didn't have your credentials because you were on some type of administrative leave for some, other re- for some reason. And true to form, Michael Connolly reinforces that Pounds is a paper pusher because Edgar says that, you know, he cleared this homicide. and Actually, he actually cleared three homicides. And Pound uses those three homicides to lower his closure rate. Again, to make him, or excuse me, to, to raise his closure rate, to make him seem as though he's some superior uh, homicide supervisor. And again, it again reinforces that Pounds is a straight-up politician when it comes to LAPD. And after Bosch finishes with um, the phone call with Edgar, he starts thinking about his mission. You know, that conversation he had with Dr. Anoho, what's your mission, Bosch? From the book, just before he dozed off, a thought pushed through the lava. Everybody counts or nobody counts. And then, in the last moments of clarity before sleep, he knew what the connecting ribbon that had run through his thoughts had been. And he knew what his mission was. And that gets us to this episode's question of the day. And the question of the day for The Last Coyote, chapters one through four, is as follows. During a session with Dr. Carmen Hanoho of LAPD's Behavioral Science section, Dr. Hanoho implores Harry to try to believe that you are away from LAPD Police Department. When you are in here, try to believe that you are just coming to see a friend, to talk to. You can say anything. 
Question. Should police officers have a safe place to talk where any dialogue is considered privileged communication? No, they're public servants. Or yes, people need to vent. And as of recording this podcast, 91% of you said that, yes, people need a place to vent. Only 9% say, no, they're public servants. Now, I'm not going to talk about the 91%, and I really appreciate that. Let me talk about the, the, the 9%. And even though it was a small minority, you would be amazed how vocal that small minority is, that small group is. And I want to speak to the 9% people here because and without cops having a safe place to talk and to vent their frustrations without it being um, viewed on the 9 o'clock news, society is just creating robots and people who won't empathize with you in your time of crisis. So let's remember, most of the time, citizens interact with police officers when they're in some type of crisis or they are at their worst. And without police officers feeling or being able to get off their chest some feelings and or being able to work through whatever's bothering them, they're just going to be detached. And in my opinion, then that just victimizes the society all over again. You're calling the police for help and here this person shows up and they don't have any empathy or capacity to show any concern about what you're going through, just, uh, yes, ma'am, just give me the facts of what's going on. Yes, sir, uh, just give me the facts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, opposed to somebody broke into your house and they ransacked your house and some personal effects, you just tell me, which kind of officer do you want? I mean, and that's 9% of you. You tell me, would you want officers just showing up, stating facts and then leaving? Or would you want someone there who can possibly show you some type of kindness, some type of empathy, to help you through whatever crisis that you are dealing with at the time. And as always, thank you so much for participating in the polls and the interaction on the website and Facebook page and social media. Again, I think I got the best listeners in any podcast that's out there. And yes, I might be biased and I don't mind. And what I really like is I watch the engagement And the interaction on social media is just going through the roof when I put some type of quote out there or question of the day or some type of call to action, as the business quote unquote says. And you guys just respond immediately and fast. And I'm just humbled that you guys take the time out to help me with this podcast. And I really, really appreciate it. And as I'm prone to do, I feel like I'm rambling. So let's go back to hitting the streets. And so as we come back from our break, I'm just going to again go right to the book. The glow of his success was short-lived. But having completed a project, left his mind open to wander. Back out on the deck, the other thoughts came back as he swept the wood shavings into a small pile. Anoho had told him to stay busy. Now he knew how he would do it. And in that moment, he realized that no matter how many projects he found to take up his time, there was one job he still had to do. He leaned the broom against the wall and went inside to get ready. So Bosch then decides to take a drive to the uh, LAPD's storage facility. 
And Michael Colley describes, again, I guess all major cities have the exact same thing. But one of the things I wanted to point out is from the book, after parking, he walked to the beige-painted storage warehouse that housed the city's history of violence. A quarter-acre building contained the files of all LAPD cases, solved and unsolved. This was where case files came when nobody cared anymore. Like, God, again, Michael Connolly, that punched me because I've been there. I know I've seen the vast warehouses where all case files are. And so while Bosch is waiting for the case file of his mother, Marjorie Lowe, to be found, he runs into a captain. And uh, the captain who happens to got into his own political trouble. And one of the things that Michael Connolly was able to pick up here is a lot of times in law enforcement, to avoid certain trouble, they give you an offer to go play someplace that, they would, that you don't want to go. Either they, they call it road therapy, where they, they look at where you live and they try to give you the district furthest away from your house. Or if you're a hard charger, they put you in charge of, or they put you in some unit that is just a paper pusher. Or quite or the opposite. If you're a slacker, they will put you into a hard charging um, a unit. Again, that's the culture of police work. That's what happens. And so Bosch runs into a captain who has run afoul or run into the political problems himself, and he was stashed away at the, uh, air, at the, at the air wing. And just like I said back in the Black Echo, when Bosch was meeting with the DPW representative concerning the tunnels, law enforcement guys do themselves a disservice by underestimating civilians. And again, we see here the clerk, Geneva, you know, when she asked Harry to sign for the murder book concerning Marjorie Lowe. She, you know, Harry signs it with his left hand and she goes, oh, a lefty. And again, you know, and Bosch looks, at, uh, looks back at her. Again, it's just one little telltale sign that I like Michael Connolly always give homage back to the civilians. And I'm pretty sure whoever was advising him told him that our bread and butter, cops' bread and butter, is made off of civilian help. And at least here is one more time that any police officer who reads Michael Connolly's books, again, don't underestimate civilians and their expertise and how much they can help you with your investigation. And we end chapter four, how we began this podcast with a reading from the book. She looked back at him and a grandmotherly smile formed on her face. I don't know what you're doing, Detective Bosch, but I wish you good luck. I can tell it's important to you coming back here after five years. It's been longer than that, Geneva. A lot longer.
And that gets us to this episode's Everyone Counts or No One Counts person. And my Everyone Counts or No One Counts person for chapters one through four of The Last Coyote is Dr. Anoho. And I say Dr. Anoho, again, I said it before, I felt so, I even feel embarrassed talking about, but I got kicked out of that one uh, circle therapy. But the fact that Dr. Noho had the fortitude and the expertise to stick in there with a disgruntled and very cantankerous person like Harry Bosch just goes to the credit of her profession. And I say Dr. Noho because she represents to me so far in this book, these four chapters, how important it is for police officers to be able to express themselves in a safe space. And for her not to take things personally while Harry's attacking her and her profession just goes to show how good she is at her craft. So my everyone counts or no one counts person for chapters one through four of The Last Coyote is Dr. Carmen Anoho. This concludes chapters one through four review of The Last Coyote. I say this every podcast, but it's so true. Thank you for hanging in there with me. I'm so humbled that you guys are listening to this podcast and you continue to make it grow. And like always, you know, you can catch us on Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate us five stars or better. And oh, also, please, please, please leave comments. Your comments and interactions are just phenomenal. And as I said before, please tell your friends and family about the podcast so we can keep it growing. And, you know, I got the best review that I think a podcaster could get was someone on the Facebook page had asked for a podcast that talked about the Harry Bosch TV series and or the whole ecosystem. And a couple of guys out there said, hey, make sure you uh, check out the Thin Blue Line podcast. And I didn't get your permission, so I don't want to say your name on the podcast, but you guys know who you are. Thank you so much for that trust. Thank you for so much for that promotion. Again, I think that's the best thing that a podcaster can can get with someone, some homegrown support like that. And thank you so much. And don't forget to join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content where, you know, I'm going to say it again, you'll get a more detailed experience concerning Michael Conley and Harry Bosch. So next up on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we will continue our deep dive into The Last Coyote, chapters five through nine. I'm Phil Parker, and on 10, seven for the remainder, <laughs>